you're listening to the All Indie Writers Podcast with host Jennifer Mattern, helping serious freelancers, bloggers, and indie authors go pro. Hello and welcome. I'm Jen Mattern, and you're listening to the All Indie Writers Podcast. Thank you for joining me today. This is episode 38. You can find show notes and related links for this episode at allindiewriters.com slash podcast slash 38. Today's question, or questions actually, come from Gina Alianiello, and she's sent in questions for the show before. She originally contacted me with a question about freelance writing rates, and then had a couple of follow-up questions that I think would be helpful for other freelancers as well. So today we'll talk about rates, specifically how you share them on your professional website. Then we'll move on to the issue of the six-figure writer ideal. And finally, I'll answer a question Gina had about the takedown of copyrighted content on platforms like YouTube and whether or not writers should be worried. First, let's talk about freelance writing rates. Here was Gina's original question. I was looking at your pricing page and then I was thinking about the advice of not quoting a price immediately when someone asks until knowing all the details. Does your price page make it clear from the start for a potential client what they can expect? Or do your prices change as you talk with them? With this first question, I had already responded to Gina privately, so I want to let you know exactly what I told her. So this was my response to Gina. I've never been a fan of the don't quote a price until you know all the details advice. The way I see it is, if a writer doesn't have a fairly accurate estimate for certain project types, then they don't know their business well enough yet. And as a client, I never hire writers or any other type of freelancer if they don't have pretty clear rates laid out on their website. I just don't have time for that, and neither do your prospects. If your competitors make it easier for them to decide if they're a good fit than you do, then they're not going to waste their time on you. Now, that's not to say project details can't influence pricing too, but my recommendation is to have a standard rate of some kind and make it clear what the terms of those rates are on your site. For example, my press release rate covers a standard release up to 400 words, and there's no distribution included. If a client wants a longer press release for some reason, it's understood that there's going to be a higher fee for that. With blogging, I break it down in word count ranges. That leaves both the client and me with some flexibility. They aren't pressuring me to cut the word count down to a degree where I can't cover things adequately, and I don't have to nitpick every little thing I say to stick to an artificially deflated word count goal just so the client can minimize costs. So keep things like that in mind. You know, with blogging again, have a rate, but show that rate covers a certain post length. Tell prospects whether or not it includes you sourcing images or if they need to find them on their own. Tell them if the price includes promotion or not, or whether or not you'll monitor blog comments and for how long. Anything they want that's not included in the price advertised on your site, you can charge extra for. And you'll discuss all of that when you get a full project brief from the client. In those cases, I base things on my hourly rate and how long I expect the extra work to take. So that was my original response to Gina, and I think that sums it up pretty well. I believe wholeheartedly in publishing rates on your professional website. I have never heard an excuse not to that stood up under scrutiny. I just haven't, and I've been hearing the arguments for years. The usual argument I hear is that publishing rates is too rigid, but that's only true if you set rigid rates with no flexibility built in, and that's stupid, so don't do it. The other one I hear all the time is that publishing rates will limit the number of prospects who contact you. And, you know, yeah, that's kind of the point. 
you know, I'm not going to go into all of the detail here because Sharon Hurley Hall and I just talked about this on a recent podcast episode. I will link you to that in the show notes page, which is allindiewriters.com slash podcast slash 38. But one of the biggest perks of having your rates posted publicly is that you do weed out the tire kickers and the prospects who can't afford you. Most aren't going to bother contacting you anymore, and that saves you time from having to respond to them. This way you're not getting all of these inquiries from people who can't afford you asking what you charge you're taking the time to put together quotes only to have them come back shocked or insulting you like i hear horror stories from writers all the time about prospects ripping them apart because that's easier than admitting that they're cheap as shit so you don't need that you don't need to waste your time responding to people who aren't really in your target market anyway weed them the hell out putting your rates on your website helps you do that And look, you're a freelancer, your time is money. So don't waste time on people who can't afford you. And really, come on, you know, it doesn't take that many clients to fill a full time freelance schedule. You don't need to appeal to everyone under the sun, you need to appeal to the right clients. And you need to work on either finding them or attracting them. If clients who can afford the rates that you want to charge aren't the ones who are contacting you, then you're doing something very wrong marketing wise and you need to go back to square one and figure out what it is about the copy on your website or the services you're offering or the rates you're charging or the prospects that you're going after that isn't working because something in that marketing mix is a problem okay now gina followed up with a second question loosely related to prices she was curious about the trend in courses and online programs pushing freelancers to become quote-unquote six-figure writers So here is her question. I wonder what you think about programs helping freelancers build their business, usually aimed at six figures. The rebel in me resists programs, probably to my detriment. Some programs are geared to the high dollar copywriter who charges more for fewer projects. Other programs seem to be all about the high energy copywriter who works hard all the time. I'm a slower writer, so I don't tend to gravitate to the six figure ideal. Although in time, I'd like to surpass my expectations. I would be interested to hear your insights on the six-figure writer and what that means. I really don't want to burn myself out. Okay, look, I'm a bit torn on the whole six-figure target, to be honest. I think that's perfectly fine if you've been around for a while, you know, but newer writers, you know, that's where I'm a little iffy here. I, I don't like seeing new writers think about this pie in the sky kind of target that most of them won't be around long enough to reach. And the problem is when you don't reach a high target like that quickly enough, you get discouraged and it can contribute to you quitting. So I think that's silly. Now, when All Indie Writers launched, it was actually launched as sixfigurewriters.com. And I still have that domain. And occasionally I even consider reviving the old brand. So obviously I don't have a problem thinking in terms of that target. But that blog didn't launch as a training program, like so many today being run by the smarmy marketer types who are trying to appeal to freelancers' egos, you know, which is really what this is, let's face it. You know, it's all about them trying to appeal to your vanity and that label of being able to call yourself a six-figure writer. And it's, it's just silly. It's a stupid marketing gimmick is what it is. And that's kind of what I take issue with. You know, it's that newish trend that I mentioned where people with their own overinflated egos run around boasting about their earnings in order to suck new writers in with promises of earning those same six-figure incomes. 
And the problem is that while they're boasting, they're rarely completely honest with you. Most I've come across aren't transparent by a long shot. For example, I've seen more than a few who brag about being six-figure writers without telling you that that's gross earnings. And to get that, they spend a relative crap ton more than the vast majority of freelancers do, which you would know if you know them personally, which I sometimes do, or if you even pay attention to things that they've admitted elsewhere on their blogs and guest posts and things like that. You know, they count on you not paying attention. And in the end, they're often netting less than a writer who might gross quite a bit less than them because of those increased expenses. And even worse, they're often not making those six figures doing the thing that they're teaching you to do. So they might be saying, oh, I'll help you become a six-figure freelance writer. And I make six figures, so you should trust me and do what I say. When the truth is maybe they only earned forty or 50000 as a freelance writer, and they're earning six figures now, not because of freelance writing work, but because they're selling courses to newbie writers like you. There's a big difference. One makes them qualified to teach you, the other does not. So the first thing I think about this issue, since Gina asked, is that you shouldn't get stars in your eyes, or dollar signs for that matter, when you see someone boasting about any particular income level. You don't know the full story behind that income, and you aren't them. They may have been around for 10 or more years while you're just getting started. You're not going to replicate what they're doing anytime soon in that case. You know, so you have issues like that, you know, you don't match their experience. You might not have the same credentials that they do. And especially you don't know how much they're spending to make that money so that they can make claims about their gross earnings. And you don't know where their six figure income is coming from, how much of it is coming from what they're teaching. They're the kinds of things you should be keeping in mind. Now, is there anything wrong with someone selling a course or program? No, of course not. You know, at least not as long as they're honest and they have legitimate expertise in what they're teaching. In other words, if someone's only been in business for a few years, they're not someone you should be paying to learn from yet. They're still at a phase where they should be learning. And those who start calling themselves experts before they actually are, are truly dangerous to you and your business. So vet the instructors carefully if you're considering any kind of a course or program. Ask people you know about them. Talk to people who have taken the course if possible and not people the instructor points you to. Now, when it comes to programs or courses overall, my recommendation is to go with ones that are specific in their nature. So forget about all the how to get started stuff or how to earn your first X number of dollars as a freelance writer. You, know, that's, you don't need that. What you really need to learn are skills that you can adapt to your individual business, not to learn how someone else got started. You can find plenty of that information for free online or pick up a book that's been vetted in some way. It's generally cheaper. You can refer back to it anytime. And frankly, with what I've seen in courses coming out of the freelance writing community in recent years, you have a better chance of that author being an actual expert than one of these relative newbies who are coming out of these marketing programs that are telling them they should be selling you these courses instead of putting the actual work in as freelancers themselves. So go with books, or if you're going to take a course, make sure it's something very specific. You know, for example, you can look for courses that teach you how to take on certain types of projects, like Peter Bowerman's course that he stopped by to talk about a couple of episodes ago on the podcast. Um, and by the way, his introductory opening is now closed for that course. And now in Peter's course, as an example, 
You could learn how to take on various high paying copywriting projects by working through real world examples and with his guidance. Or you might look for courses to teach you marketing fundamentals, not whatever the latest hyped up strategy is, but real marketing fundamentals that apply to those fads and everything that's still to come. Or look for courses related to working within your particular specialty, like dealing with a particular type of client or networking in a certain industry. Or you might look for a program that puts you through a very specific tutorial for something that you simply need to know how to do, like building your professional website or using certain software or services that might help your business. You know, I know there are courses on Scrivener and I'll be talking about Scrivener in an upcoming episode with Princess Jones again, um, as software that I highly recommend to writers and she kind of hates. So we're going to talk about that, but take courses to learn things like that. You know, the tools, the tactics that are going to help you grow in your business overall. You know, if you want it to be money well spent, then spend it well. Don't throw it at someone just because they make vague promises that you're going to earn six figures. Now, as for the six figure target in general, I mean, you know, look, I don't think there's anything wrong with it as long as you don't get caught up in all of the hyped up programs and promises that Gina had mentioned. If I did, I never would have built the original sixfigurewriters.com. And I actually have two other domain names related to that that are sixfigurefreelance.com two different versions of that domain. And I'm very well may do something with them in the future. I haven't decided they're not priority projects. But again, you know, obviously, I don't have a problem with that target. It's in how you approach it, whether your expectations are realistic, and whether or not you do get sucked in by some of these promises and courses that really aren't teaching you anything special that you can't learn anywhere else for free. Where it becomes an issue beyond all the unethical marketing nonsense, it's when you start to think of 100K as some magical number that's going to validate you or make you happy or make you a success. It will do none of those things. And just to burst your bubble a little bit, because I love to do that, 100K as a freelancer, it's not even close to being the same thing as earning 100K in a traditional job. Now, I've talked about this on the blog before, and I will link you to that post so you can check your local data. But what I found is that for all things to truly be equal between you as a freelancer and someone in a similar job, but in a traditional employee situation, is that you need to earn 30 to 40% more as a freelancer to meet the same salary as a traditional employee. You know, that accounts for the benefits they are being paid, the paid time off, retirement contributions, all of the typical things that an employer is covering. So if you wanted to brag to family about having a six figure career, that would be equivalent to theirs. You actually need to be earning more like 130 to $140,000 a year. It's a big difference. So again, that 100 K number, it is not some special magical number that validates you or is going to make you happy or solve all your problems. You actually won't be earning as much as you think you are if you're still thinking in terms of traditional earnings. So stop worrying about what other freelancers make. It's not as much as it sounds when they brag about it anyway. And all that matters is that you earn what's right for you. Your cost of living may be very different than a colleague's. And the same could be true of your lifestyle. Maybe you only work part time hours instead of full time, for example. So figure out what you need to earn and focus on that first. 
Once you get there, then start adding other things that you'd like your income to cover, like a yearly trip or more time off in general, or maybe a certain amount to put into savings each month. I have a calculator on the website that can help you figure all of this out. So I will link you to that in the show notes too. So reach your personal goals and be able to support yourself through your freelancing and you'll be a success whether or not you ever hit six figures. Okay, one last question here from Gina. This one is about copyrighted content being attacked online with takedown notices and what that might mean for writers. Here's her question. I have a question for you about what's happening with copyright right now on the internet. Lately, YouTube channels are being targeted and even taken down for copyright challenges filed with YouTube by random people. I just heard about one guy who's been on YouTube for three and a half years with a high number of subscribers, but one person filed four complaints and he was taken down. His channel was political and probably targeted as fake news, the point being that there seems to be no just process in protecting publishing rights. Do you have any thoughts on this? How does anyone know their original content can't be targeted and taken down? All right, so let me preface my response by reminding you that I am not a lawyer, this is not legal advice, and if you have specific concerns about your copyrighted content, you should talk to an attorney who specializes in intellectual property rights. That said, I cannot speak to the specific YouTube case Gina mentions. I don't know what that case is. But it sounds like it might be more of an issue of someone violating a terms of service agreement more than copyright. Um, if that's the case, YouTube would have been well within its right, no matter how long the channel existed. And even if it was a copyright issue, it really comes down to were they using other people's copyrighted material. So without knowing that, we can't really comment on that particular case. But more generally, this really isn't an issue of publishing rights. When you put your content on third-party services, you're bound to those terms. You don't actually have any right to publish there or for them to continually host and serve your content. So I don't see the issue here being takedown requests or complaints. And I don't see the issue being these services upholding their terms and doing what they think is best for their businesses or larger audiences. This is an issue of content providers being irresponsible though. I've been saying this for years. And I'm going to say it again, and I will probably continue to say it for years. Do not rely on any single third party to host your content. Facebook is not a substitute for hosting your own website. YouTube is not a substitute for having backups of all of your video content. Building a huge Twitter following is not a substitute for building your own opt-in email list. Your priority should be on your own home on the web, the one that you have control over. Now, for most of you, that will be your professional website or blog, which I should note should be self-hosted so you can keep complete and proper backups and move to another host on a whim if you ever want or need to. You know, you shouldn't be on hosted solutions like Blogger or the .com version of WordPress where you have less control and less ability to redirect and it's more difficult to move things later. You don't need that. You need something that you own. There are some people who like to argue, well, you don't own your hosting account and they can shut you down too. Well, sweetie, that's why you have backups. And it's very, very easy to take a backup of your self-hosted website and move it to another host if your original host shuts you down. And if you don't have the ability to get a site that's been shut down and all of that content that's been taken down back up on another host within 24 hours, then you're not doing something right. 
you should always be able to do that. And you should always have control of that content. You don't just take your content, put it up on some third party and expect that it is protected. You have no right to publish there. It is a privilege and that's great that you can use these tools. There's nothing wrong with using these tools, but these, you know, social media accounts, your YouTube account, any third party service that you use to offer content or connect with your audience, that's just supplementary. It's there to boost your central site. It is not a replacement. The moment you willingly give up control of your content to third party sites and services, you lose your right to complain if they take it down. And if that happens, you better have that backup because that's your responsibility. It's not theirs and they don't owe you an audience. So it doesn't matter if you have hundreds of thousands of followers, they don't owe you that. You made a decision to invest your time there to build an audience there instead of building an audience that you can take with you anywhere, like your own email list. So make sure you drive those subscribers or followers from these social media accounts or YouTube or whatever it is you're using to your own website, your RSS feed or your email list. And the sooner the better. So that is what I think about that. You a shouldn't be violating copyright law to have these complaints coming in. B, if an illegitimate complaint comes in, you should be in a position to back yourself up and prove that you're in the right. And you should have backups anyway, because if anyone takes your content down, you should already have other copies to put up somewhere else. Do that and you really don't have anything to worry about. Okay, so I think that is all I have for you today. Thank you to Gina for sending in her questions. If there's something that you want me to tackle in a future episode, you can submit your writing-related questions through the contact form at allindywriters.com podcast by emailing me at jen, that's J-E-N-N, at allindywriters.com or by leaving me a voicemail at 484-575-1345. You can find show notes and related links for this episode at allindywriters.com podcast 38. You can also access this podcast, audio blog posts, and related audio productions by visiting freelancetheater.com. You've been listening to the All Indie Writers Podcast with Jen Mattern, a freelance theater production. Freelance theater. It's all writers need for life's little episodes.